did you get the chance to take a bath in your in, in the med ponds or like did you have your private yes I did yes so much fun it was fantastic the ice pod is the podcast about polar science and the people we talked to scientists who went on board polar stern the german research icebreaker for the biggest research expedition in the arctic This is the iSpot, the podcast about polar science and the people. And we are back in our home office studios um, here in Bremen. My name is Kirstin Werner and um, I have my colleague with me. Hello, Sarah. Hi. Hello, everyone. I'm Sarah. <laughs> and uh, we have a special guest today for the iSpot. We moved to like four in the meantime. <laughs> And um, I think besides uh, Markus Rex and Anja Sommerfeld, that might be the most important person for Mosaic because it's the Mosaic data manager. And um, her name is Antonia Immerz. Hello, Antonia. Hi. Hi. Nice to see you. Nice to have you on the podcast here. Um, Antonia, before we go into your career and how you <laughs> became the Mosaic Data Manager, I just wanted to ask you one first question. And this is, um, how much data points did you get from Mosaic? Did you ever count? Oof, data points is a very, very good question. Um, I have no idea. Um, there were thousands of measurements made. Some were running continuously, so you can't really, uh, some were recording every second, maybe some even more than that. Some made a measurement every few hours. Um, samples, ice cores, snow pits, this was done on an almost daily basis. So um, I never really calculated, but it was on leg one, we had more than 3,000 scientific actions recorded. So device operations, we call them. And if we take that times five, maybe it's a rough estimate. Um, that's uh, 15,000 um, actions to record or sample data. And I guess um, it's more than that because um, sometimes they are, they comprise several actions and are just more generalized by one, one general action, which is then documented in our system. So it's, I, I think it's uncountable. Yeah, it probably is. <laughs> That's why I asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> so Antonia and I, we met each other already uh, some years ago on board Polarstern, actually. And so Antonia, you are working with the Alfred Wegener Institute for quite a while. And before that, you have been changing jobs. You have worked as a scientist and software um, engineer also at the Alfred Wegener Institute in another group. And um, also you worked for the Bundeswehr. The, the University of the Bundeswehr, yes. Yeah. The University of the Bundeswehr. Now we have to explain what the Bundeswehr is. And that's the German army. So, But I was the not German. part of the army. I was actually only working as a scientific staff at the university. Ah, the I see. Okay, yeah. yeah. I heard they have yeah. good jobs, actually, by yeah. the way. Yeah, they do good science as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and all I mean, we looked at your CV already yesterday, Sarah and me, and we thought this is the perfect um, career way to, to become the data manager of Mosaic. Um, you studied um, first informatics and electronic commerce, and maybe you can tell us a bit of what this is. 
And then with that, you did your bachelor and then you did your diploma in applied informatics. And then you did another bachelor in biology. So how did, how did that happen that you um, started with this IT stuff and then you eventually decided, okay, now I'm doing biology? That's what it looks like in the CV. But actually, I, um, when I started to study, I also had an offer to study marine biology in Rostock at that time. But I had uh, stopped um, studying biology with the 10th grade in in the in school so i wasn't sure if um i'm really up for it and i also wasn't sure if i'm really interested in all the details like photosynthesis and those were things in school where i actually stopped listening so i wasn't sure if i was gonna do a whole uh university career with it and um that's why i thought yeah if i study informatics i'm have quite a broad application um so i can i can look into environment but i could also look into um into the industry i could uh, go into um game programming whatever so i don't really have to make a decision and that's uh, so i thought i'd go in that direction and um i started off in a very classical software development company uh programming tax formulas um decided that's maybe not my dream and uh, went into science Was it too boring or why why wasn't that your dream? We, well, not my major interest, let's say. I'm okay. I'm very bad at creating <laughs> my own tax, um, how do you call it, making my own tax uh, refunds at the end of each year. <laughs> so it um, uh, wasn't like my my biggest interest in creating these these uh, tax formulas. Yeah, so that's how I came to the University of the Bundeswehr, um, where we um, developed um an application on a mobile mobile handhelds for senior scientists, senior citizens, so that they get integrated more into social life, so they could communicate via Twitter or WhatsApp, but in a in a such a way that it's um, more easily accessible for seniors. Mm -hmm. um, but I never, I always wanted to go back to the to to the sea, so do something marine biology in that direction, and that's how I came to Bremerhaven to the AVI. Uh, because they uh, had a position for a scientist in uh, tsunami modeling. And I thought, well, close enough. So <laughs> I applied. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and I got the job. It was a, only a half-year contract, as usual in science. But uh, it seems like there was a follow-up project and a follow-up project and a follow-up project. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, that was like 10 years ago. I was there for yeah, eight years in that group. But of course, it's not biology still. So I... Uh, decided to study yeah. biology at the University of Bremen and my group leader at that time was very um, uh, very generous and very cooperative so we found a way I reduced work a bit and I did like a yeah there was also a minor in informatics which I didn't have to study because I already had the degree so mm -hmm. yeah so I could do that next to work more or less and that's how I got mm -hmm. the, the degree in biology. I mean, your original interest in the ocean and the ocean biology, did this have to do with, um, because I saw you weren't born in Germany, so you were raised in, and uh, now you have to help me, Papua New Guinea. Um, Papua New Guinea, yeah. yeah, I went to kindergarten. And, yeah. uh, and how, how did you get into this ocean biology interest? Does it have to do with your early, early times somewhere else living? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I lived in... Uh, several countries where we could go to the ocean very many times. I went snorkeling for the first time when I was maybe five years old oh. and I still uh, 
remember those coral reefs and those fish and all those colors. Um, and I love swimming and I love the ocean. So I, yeah, and that's something I'd like to conserve as well. So so I guess your parents worked um, somewhere overseas <laughs> or, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then eventually they they decided to go to Germany, yeah, or? Well, my um, my dad worked for an oil company. Mm -hmm. He got a new posting every three to four years. So, yeah, so I got to see a lot of countries and they continued doing that um, for for quite some time. But now they're back in in, in their home base in Germany. Mm -hmm. Yeah, still have friends there and family, of course. And was it at one at school that you get your interest into computer stuff? Because I think, um, so I would have never thought about studying informatics, <laughs> never. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, that was my ex-boyfriend at that time. <laughs> ah. so, so he did that and you thought, okay, that... That Sounds might be nice. enough. And it's, uh, yeah, you have all these, you're very flexible. You can look into all kinds of different fields. So that was, seemed like a good way. To yeah, I see. And yeah. then, and now with biology, you also, you know, had your dream come true kind of on everything come together, comes together now uh, working at the Alfred Wegener Institute. Exactly. Yeah. So Antonia brought some songs also. Um, we will listen to the first song. That's a song, um, a German one. Fahren Sie nicht zum Nordpol. So that uh, means in, in English, uh, don't um, go to the North Pole. But you did that. We did that, yeah. And the, uh, the uh, song is actually a suggestion from a good friend of mine. She said we should try and cover the song. Uh, we always tried. We never managed in the end. But I think in a few years' time, we might be able to play it by ourselves. And it was... Uh, Yeah, it fit very good to the expedition. We are back after Fernsehen nicht zum Nordpol. And Antonia, you were mentioning you, you have plans to make a cover of this song. With whom are, were you doing this? Uh, with, uh, with friends on board of Leg One, actually. We were um, uh, Biela, she played the ukulele, Verena, she had an accordion. Um, then we had Ilka, who could play the organ on Polarstern, and myself, I was playing guitar. And Verena said, we should definitely cover this song. And we always tried, but all the other songs we had were much easier to play. So in the end, we never, we never <laughs> made it. And uh, we started, Verena and I were both on, um, and also Ilka on leg four. And also a lot of other musicians or people who could play guitar much better than myself. Um, I'm more in the singing. Uh, I have a band where I sing, uh, and my friend plays the guitar. That's oh, much nice. for the distribution of the of the skills. Um, but yeah, <laughs> oh, <this can't laughs> but in the end, we yeah. So it's still on the to do list, and I think it would be great if we meet in some years' time yeah. and remember the good times of Mosaic, and then then are able to play that song. But if not, we'll just. Uh, played on the computer, I guess. Uh, and we also have a whole section dedicated to the extra, uh, like, job things that were going on on Polashton. So we will also dive a bit deeper oh, on all the side activities that were on board, uh, that were going on uh, on Polashton. We want to approach the whole, I mean, what this whole podcast is about. <laughs> It's about uh, Mosaic. Uh, so first of all, we wanted to know, you're the data manager, so you are pretty high up in the ranking of, of important people at, uh, on Mosaic. Uh, but how did you get involved? I mean, Mosaic took 
a longish to get organized and to be uh, set up and planned and everything. When in this in this time frame did you come along and how were you involved? Yeah, it's good that you point out that I, I have an important role. Um, I, the data plays a very important role. That's very true. I'm not sure if I'm very high up in the ranking. <laughs> I'm doing well. My best. I, we say so. I, I, I'm eventually, sure yeah, I think now, <laughs> Antonia, you're getting more and more important. You know, because everybody wants to use the data now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, we're getting lots of questions now. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I started. Um, I went started the job in June 2018. So, like, so I've been doing this for about two years, a bit more. And um, that was already quite um, quite far ahead in in the terms of the project because the project had been been discussed since I think ten years. So at the end, the last two years were much more busy, let's say, than than the first years. Uh, but yeah. they had already had several workshops when I came into the project. They had already established the different teams. Um, so it was uh, things were going on quite a lot already when I joined. Also in this podcast, but in general, I think like the idea that people have about people working on mosaic is these guys in the red suits and taking measurements in the snow. And it's harder to picture a data manager on board. So what what does a data manager do <laughs> exactly? <laughs> okay, maybe I'll start before. So what was my job before? So the yes. first, uh, um, but it's a good question. I was asked that many times, like, uh, well, what is, what is what is your job actually? And uh, um, <laughs> data on board. I mean, uh, so um, but um, so before my task was to to create this link between the RV data center and the uh, the data group and the scientists. So and um, present the the different data management software and components we have, and um, somehow transfer this concept of how the data should be stored all in one place, annotated with metadata. What kind of um, additional data for every um, scientific action needs to be stored in different software components or in, in different repositories so that this um, data of mosaic is um, will be accessible and understandable on the on the long term right and mm -hmm. um, that was mm -hmm. a quite a yeah quite a challenging job because um also the because it's such a big project and so dispersed with so many different and also heterogeneous groups that the communication itself is yeah. quite a challenge to um, transport these quite complicated concepts. So it's not uh, everyone has his own kind of data management. Someone has his own structure on his server. Some teams have um, have have their shared data mm -hmm. storage and everyone, they have sampling um, techniques, sample management systems. Some don't have it all. Then you have these different disciplines. Mm -hmm. um, so um, and to yeah. try, so sure. try and uh, draw the attention and the interest of all these different participants in the project and give them a common understanding of what should be done in Mosaic. Um, that was my task. And also to collect all these different, different, um, circumstances, let's say, because we have uh, one system for registering all the devices in, in which were used in the during the expedition. Um, and uh, but we have so many different cases of or work use cases of how instruments are used in the field, how often samples are taken, um, how a, um, instruments are arranged, how they're used together, um, that it gets very complicated in representing this in one software, which um, so 
Yeah. So sure. yeah. So that was like my task beforehand, getting this knowledge to the scientists, but also getting the special cases from the scientists and trying to get all this information about which, sci which scientific devices will be used, how much data will be gathered approximately and how often and what mm -hmm. should be transferred home during the expedition, all this beforehand. It turned out to be quite, quite a challenging job because uh, yeah, all these other things also had to be planned at the same time. So data at that time was still yeah. not as important, let's say, not because it was still to be collected. And on the expedition, mm -hmm. my job, well, my main job was to help scientists use these data management components. So we have um, the sensor web where the devices used in, in scientific actions were registered. Um, Antonia, I have to ask a question in between. What do you mean by devices? Is this a hard drive or what? what is meant? Oh, no. That? Well, let's say um, instruments. I just, okay, instruments. The, the okay. instruments. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so every scientific instrument, be it um, a measurement sensor or a sampling device, uh, would have to be registered in the sensor web. Mm -hmm. uh, sensor.awi.de yeah. and um, every action so every scientific action we call it device operation so when a sample is taken or when a, a measurement is performed or when a continuously measuring instrument mm -hmm. is switched on this is all um, registered in the station book um, on board Polarstern which is a D-ship system so it's used during normal expeditions but it had a special special Well, it was used in a special way during the mosaic drift. There was also a way how that data would, uh, how the data that was recorded or collected should be uploaded to the mosaic central storage. Mm -hmm. That's uh, with mm -hmm. big um, file storage on board Polarstern. Mm -hmm. And um, the idea is to put the data in such a way there that other people who are not part of the expedition can look into sensor web, see that device um, was creating data. Uh, that's the person who Yeah. the PI. Oh, and I can, I'm part of Mosaic, so I have access to that storage. So I can go to that in that um, directory on the storage and have a look at that data. Of course, there's rules. Mm -hmm. There's a Mosaic data policy. You can't just go and create a paper and say, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. So there's people you should ask. There's people who um, qualify for co-authorship and, and so on. So this is all documented and um, there's guidelines and the Mosaic data policy. But that's the idea. On, on the technical side, also for supporting how to, how to use the systems, we also had some um, mm -hmm. a virtual environment, so you could um, create virtual machines um, on board Polarstern, so you didn't have to work with your own laptop, but could work with a virtual machine via the internal network, for instance, or you have a Windows system yeah. or Ubuntu or whatever, um, and different other um, components, which should uh, help collaborate on this data already on Polarstern. And, um, I love to go out into the field and help with the samplings and the measurements. That was like, a, for me, that was a bonus of the, the whole thing. Also very, um, very good yeah. task because I got some insights into how to, how things go on, um, on the ice. So normally the technicians, they get the people say, well, they have no clue. They don't go out in the field. They don't know what, what the, what the circumstances are. So I think I got quite a good insight what the circumstances are and, Yeah, some ideas of yeah. what needs to be how the work was also there. Yeah. And you also I mean you also do the data management when you are at home. So I was wondering what is the difference or was it basically 
the similar thing just you go into the field and help the people as well um well before the expedition it was more like a training mm -hmm. and exchange um a job mm -hmm. um also also how to use the components but we have support we have a sensor web support so um i was helping out there too but mm -hmm. on land we have also colleagues of mine who help using the systems okay so so on board, yeah. um, it was especially helping and using the systems and mm -hmm. keeping an overview if everything is documented well mm -hmm. and if data is uploaded. Mm -hmm. So on land, before there was nothing to upload, it was all just pre preparation. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. now after the end of this expedition, now people are all eager to access the data and work with the data. So the questions are, how do, can I access the data? How do I use the systems? And of course, in the long run, when there will be the results from the lab analysis from the mm -hmm. from the samples that were taken, we'll also have to keep an eye on if the data, if people know where to upload the data, if the the format that we design is still being being used, and so on. We are recording now on the twenty third of October, so mosaic is over at least like the core part the the people going out and, and taking measurements etc but it's kind of actually when when your like role really take like, like has the shine and will become more prominent are you looking forward to it or like were you kind of waiting <laughs> for this moment like yes this is now my in my hands i'm the i'm the boss now <laughs> well i'm i'm well i'm not the boss i have a big team um of colleagues unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, this is not a task for one person to solve. And um, luckily, we have all this yeah. uh, infrastructure and software in place to, to, to handle all these requests. Also, uh, we have a ticketing system, for instance, if someone writes an email, several colleagues can answer to that. But also, we have now all the components in place for accessing this um, the data on the Mosaic Central Storage. And I'm very, very happy that I don't have to do it by myself. And there's a, a team of experts yeah. for data publication, for um, for using the workspace environment, for um, registering instruments in Sensor Web. Actually, to be honest, I thought uh, when the expedition is over, the most part of my job is over. But then I realized <laughs> that this is probably not the case. And I'm quite curious. I'm, I'm, uh, it's very nice. It's, um, it's a great feeling that finally um, people are becoming very interested and all these, um, before it was more theoretical, yeah. I was giving a course and people, they were participating because they had to and you had some who, who were more, um, well, who were more interested in, in more technical things. So they, they would also pay attention and ask questions. But for the others, it was more like a, well, it was a compulsory thing because they had to yeah. they had to yeah. take care of papers here. and all these other logistical things which were much more important so now it's really um like a collaboration it's um actually it's a very re rewarding way to work now so it's uh, yeah I'm looking forward to mm -hmm. that yeah i mean we wish you uh, like good luck <laughs> thank you with uh, the good luck antonia <laughs> <We are also>. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> i mean i guess it's it's thousands of people that that well, first of all, contributed to collecting all this data that want to have access and want to work with it. And there's also all the rest of the people that are, that were waiting on the edge of their seats to get their hands on this on this data, which is also something that that will probably take uh, more time to to manage and also will take. Yeah, it's it's one more thing that you that you probably have to do. And I guess 
I don't know, handle somehow. Yeah. So that that's what I, yeah. I'd like to take it even one step further. So the, the big challenge that we all have in Mosaic is now not only that everyone in Mosaic gets hands on the data and can work with it, but actually our, our goal is, which is also part of the data policy, that all data is publicly available mm -hmm. by January 2023, which I think is in sci scientific mm -hmm. timescales probably not too long. So there's, um, yeah. It takes quite a lot of work by all participants and every all the members of Mosaic who are uh, contributing data to make this data available in such a way, as I said, um, that it follows the fair principles, findable, accessible, mm -hmm. interoperable, and reusable. And so it requires that data is somewhere stored, like in a data repository, like in yeah. Pangea, uh, where people can find it. But it also needs to be documented. So where was it taken? Mm -hmm. uh, at which location? Um, at what time? Is the time in the correct? Is it UTC? Which was it? Which sensor was yeah. measuring the data? And which configuration was it? Because a badly configured sensor uh, will create very different data to to a correctly configured sensor, let's say. Um, so, and having all this available by 2023 um, is going to be a very big challenge. So, but it's also, as I said, um, it feels good to be part of such a such an important mission. I mean, we are so much looking forward to to see what will be the results also of all this of this work that has been done and all the uh, amazing findings that that will for sure be available at a certain point and will that that the people will work with and uh, and I'm sure it's like a, a mine full of potential gems that one can really dig in and 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 it's uh, it really provides a great platform for for scientists to do big and great science so and that's all thanks to you that took the care the, the and you and and your team to take the time and resources to make it freely available so yeah it, that's exciting to also for for external people too maybe i would just uh suggest that we also hear to another uh song that you brought uh that that fits thematically because we are talking about uh marine and i mean you were on board a ship for for months uh, and it's To the Sea by the Katzenjammer. What's the, the story behind this? Well, I, that's, uh, it sounds a bit like a carousel. It feels for me like you're on a Jahrmarkt, um, and it's always this carousel turning. And shortly before the expedition, that's exactly how I felt. You thought you had everything in place, and then this carousel kept turning again. <laughs> and you had all this yeah. mess going on, all this <laughs> chaos. So that's, uh, and uh, yeah. By coincidence, that song is also called To the Sea. I had to find it first. And uh, yeah, so that's the story behind it. So so I want to go back a little bit also for, for the audience of this uh, podcast. So there is an instrument outside on the ice and this um, collects data. How is this then transferred to this, what was it called? So you have a mosaic central storage on, on board Polarstern. Is this like a server or how can I picture that? Well, it's like a server. So it's accessible from from all over the network. So if you connect your computer to the Polarstern network, mm -hmm. you also have access to to that uh, file storage. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it was um, big enough for we 700 terabytes of data. We didn't collect that much. Um, but so there was a lot of space. Only okay. roughly 200 terabytes were uploaded. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's 
-hmm. not all data that was collected during the expedition. Some had their own very um, elaborated storage systems, some um, institutes. So that would not be uploaded to the storage ah. on board, but will be okay. accessible then from land directly. So we didn't do the double there. And other data will only be generated after analyzing all the samples, for instance. How does the so you you have this instrument yeah. <laughs> out on the on the on the sea ice? How does the data goes onto that mosaic central storage? So there's different ways. So there was a network on the ice. So we had the fiber optic cables outside. So like a real data cable. So. Um, mm -hmm together with the power cables. So certain stations were connected to the Polarstern network. There was also a wireless okay. uh, network, so uh, by a radio link. So also when there was a site. That so, was so there was a Wi-Fi on Mosaic on the, on the sea yeah. ice, yeah, so to exactly, say. Exactly, exactly. So we had a whole city. <laughs> okay. And uh, the, yeah, there was power, yeah. there was data network, um, wireless and by cable. So yeah, not everywhere, everything. And um, of course, mm -hmm, the, it mm -hmm. had to be very flexible. But yes, so instruments that were connected via this network could send data directly. I mean, in, in means. Okay. In the end, um, I don't know how many people use this functionality, maybe rather for controlling the instrument from board, let's say. Um, mm -hmm. But also, data could be sent via this connection to Polarstern directly onto the storage in the end. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. um, other people had data loggers, so they'd maybe exchange some memory card in the instrument every once in a while and take uh -huh. it home, mm -hmm. or others would download it, or even take some people took their laptop out into the field, so they'd have mm -hmm. robust laptops and then download the data and take it back by hand. Um, so there were, mm -hmm. everything was possible. But in the end, all of this data that is there and which is still being uploaded there in the next couple of years shall mm -hmm. be publicly mm -hmm. available. And then, but then published with a real DOI and um, so in a data repository, yeah. in a certified data repository. And then it will be Pangea or will that uh, a different one? So, yeah, Pangea is uh, the designated repository for most. But um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's like we say, that is our primary data archive where we want the data to go. Um, but mm -hmm. um, the Americans, NSF funded, have to publish in the Arctic Data Center, for instance. And um, the mm -hmm. British projects might have to go to one of the NERC repositories and so on. So there's, so there's different agreements then. So the people from the different yeah. repositories of Pangea, but of the other data repositories are in close, um, close contact so that they can... Um, they keep themselves informed about which data sets go where and all Mosaic data sets shall be annotated with a tag, which is called Mosaic 2019-2020. So then mm -hmm. you can later on find all those Mosaic data sets. So, but, yeah. but Antonia, if I understand you correctly, so there will not be a repository where all Mosaic data is stored, but you will link also to others, to the NSF funded yeah. archives and so, so on yeah well the idea is to have in the end a data portal uh, mm -hmm. we have yeah. like yeah. data awi.de um, or something similar which can then harvest these different data repositories for those mosaic data sets so that they're centrally available mm 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is actually similar to the Year of Polar Prediction data portal, which um, is our data portal also um, linking to, so it has the metadata and links to several data archives, but then you can also upload your own data there. Oh, yeah. So, so I was, I was wondering, you said it already, but so if I'm, I mean, I am a scientist. Let's say I'm a scientist. I was not on board Mosaic, um, on board Polar Stern um, with Mosaic, um, and I want to access the data. So I have to wait until 2023. Yeah? Yeah, well, that's one option. Um, if you don't <laughs> want to wait as long, you might already be part of a Mosaic um, endorsement. I make friends. Yeah, well, yeah. I make friends at Avi. <laughs> <laughs> Make your way with contacts and people that can get you through, <laughs> like at a exclusive party. The reason for that is that you have that the the people who were on board um, Polar Stern can use the data, so they have the first priority using the data. Correct? Mm, no, it's a bit bigger. So only a, a, a small okay. subset of people of the Mosaic members were actually on board Polar Stern. Well, maybe not a small, mm. but only a fraction of those people um, in Mosaic were actually on board for Lashdown. So um, maybe Anya already talked a little bit about this um, and might not get the details completely right. But um, in, in the end, everyone who wanted to participate in the Mosaic project had to um, write a proposal, more or less, to the coordinators mm-hmm. of Mosaic. Um, so say in which way they would um, contribute to the Mosaic project. Uh, which data they want to create Mm -hmm. and uh, which data they would be using. And uh, then this is um, approved by the project board or not. Um, It is verified by the different team coordinators. So ECO, BGC, Ocean, Atmosphere, and ICE. They have a a look at the proposal and say, yes, it fits, it doesn't fit, or or it doesn't fit. And then members of this proposal um, become members of Mosaic. And then they have the right mm-hmm. to um, contribute data and also use this data. So it's not simply I want to have a look I at see. this data and yeah. I want to work with it. Um, so you really have to contribute in a way and your membership is approved. So so you talked about this um, data portal that eventually should be there. Um, what do you think, Antonia, uh, what does a good data portal actually need? Yeah, well, uh, the good question. Um, I'm not the expert on that, but I think a data portal should make a data searchable, so it would be uh, have a good overview of what kind of data is there. Also, um, search maybe for different parameters. So you would like to have data sets where water temperature was measured. Um, it should make clear where data has been, where data comes from, um, how it's, how data sets are linked to each other, and um, yeah, ideally, I would say. Um, interlinked in such a way that from there you can get to the repositories so um and some kind of user friendliness would be nice huh oh yes yeah some some data portals are a bit difficult to understand yeah yeah user friendliness i think is uh, the basis of it all yeah <laughs> i think it also encourages people to use it so actually i, I have yeah. the feeling that yeah, this concept true. of data publication is quite um it's a uh, quite state of the art not everyone is using it yet so um People are okay. interested in submitting mm-hmm. manuscripts, but um, the concept of also publishing the data set, which is referenced in the manuscript, is still uh, 
it's still quite new to lots of scientists. With that, you mean um, I publish my data set and get an, a DOI, for example, on Pangea? Is exactly. that what you mean? Yeah, so, data publication? Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean with data publication. So you, um, yeah, you hand in your data set uh, to a data repository, mm -hmm. so like Pangea, and then uh, they publish it and give you a correct um, citation with authorship, um, co-authors and so on. And then uh, you can, and you get a persistent identifier, so a DOI, and this mm -hmm. DOI you can uh, then cite in manuscripts in which you you are yeah, using or referring to this data set. And people mm -hmm. um, submit manuscripts, but they don't submit the data. It's um, it might be described in the manuscript, but it's not published mm -hmm. separately, which in in Mosaic, we actually say before the manuscript um, is submitted, it would be actually good to have also the DOI for the data sets. It's, um, yeah, it's a bit difficult because some manuscripts have to be handed in very quickly. And then it's not possible to have the data sets already handed in and in what fraction and the granularity mm. of the data. So there's all these questions arising It gives credit to the work of creating the data set and also, yeah, exactly like taking care of it, making it public. Yeah. So we can make a, a, an advertisement to everybody that is yeah. listening. Just take care that you also publish your data sets and make them publicly available. That's a call to everybody. To do I that. would say so. That's yeah, great. because it, it only for, for me, it only has advantages to do that. So then uh, let's move to uh, the next song, I would say. So you chose a song I was waiting for. <laughs> you were all waiting for this song. For that song, because <laughs> you were the one who brought it up and nobody else came with that. That's the Titanic song. <laughs> <laughs> so we were wondering, did, did you so do that uh, Titanic pose on Polar Stern? Um. <laughs> no, I didn't. It's not. It's not possible to go as far onto the bow to make to make that happen. So you'd have to mm -hmm. do it somewhere else, and then it would feel the same. But this song was playing on the bridge when uh, the flow broke up on leg one, and we saw all the sights, which were first on starboard side of the ship, um, drifting past the bow of the ship. So we were all standing on the not all, but many oh people were standing on the bridge of Polashian and seeing all these sights drifting by. And so it was... And crying. Well, a bit shocked, I would say. <laughs> I mean, it didn't shocked. go that far, but uh, some things were really drifting quite far away. And uh, to mm -hmm. like to, yeah. to make the scene perfect after the drifting had more or less paused, at least um, a polar bear with uh, two cubs uh, circled around mm -hmm. the ship. So this was a very dramatic moment. So you joined, we said this already, you, you joined leg one. This was um, in um, starting in September last year, one year ago. And then you also joined leg four. And because we had already guests uh, here in a podcast talking about um, leg one, two and three, we want to dig a little bit more into um, leg four now. And um, so, so um, the first thing was there was the plan actually that you would exchange teams by aircraft oh yeah. that didn't happen that's true that didn't happen the the flow the runway <laughs> broke up i think there was a crack going through the runway so um, that plan was very ambitious 
anyway. But uh, but this was only one reason. Um, that's this was right. only the one reason why yeah. that didn't happen, right? Yeah. There was a bigger reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> the world was coming to yeah, an end. <laughs> exactly. Things were um, yeah very very complicated. Um, and yeah, they're still um, persisting. A bit complicated. So that's when Corona had its uh, its um, first peak, let's say, and all the borders were being closed. And um, yeah, it wouldn't even have been possible to fly to Norway where we would have departed from. So um, mm -hmm. all these alternative options with still getting there were, yeah, somehow. So it was quite difficult at that time. I remember there was, I don't know, Markus Rex um, in, in the... Um, Arctic Drift audio logbook podcast um, also saying that that there was you know <laughs> they had several options what to do and um, it never really turned out and eventually then the German uh, research vessels Sonne and Merian they said they would be able to bring the new team to the ice edge and then no. exactly so the yeah so several research vessels had to be cancelled because they were from other nations mm -hmm. and then as you said uh, Sonne and Merian. Uh, were um, a feasible option and um, so what happened in the end is that Polarstern the the camp was um, was repacked in the ice so mm -hmm. Polarstern departed from the flow and uh, came to the ice edge and uh, Sonne and Merian were the crew for Polarstern for the exchange and the scientists for like mm -hmm. four met near Spitzbergen that's where the exchange mm -hmm. happened and then Polarstern went back into the ice with the new crew and the new scientists and Sonne and Merian went home with the leg three. How did you change uh, the vessel? Was there a bridge put over? Or? Yeah, it was a gangway. Uh, yes? Really? Yeah, so the ship was made. No. Ah. They were like two meters apart, let's say, maybe a little less. Well, maybe it was too much. Okay. It's hard, hard to, for me to estimate distances. And then uh, you walked over. It was like a bridge, but with um, with handrails, so uh, nothing to fear. Uh, and <laughs> good, I think as far as I remember, there's like a net underneath. So it's similar like boarding the ship. You okay. also have to somehow yeah. from the, okay. get from land onto the ship, and that means somehow crossing, crossing the water. Did you meet the other team, or was that one way and no. then the others left another way, or...? How did that happen? We met the other team, but we were also very, very well prepared. So um, all of us that uh, were boarding on leg four, including the crew of uh, Mirian and Sonne, had to go into a full two weeks of quarantine. So that meant that we were, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it was uh, very strict. So we were in, um, in two hotels and I think the crew, yeah, yeah, and uh, the crew of Sonne and Mirian were also uh, in hotels mm -hmm. and um, we had to, first stay in our room for one week we had a corona test on the on the first day when arriving and then we had another one after five days and if both of those tests were negative we were allowed into group quarantine which means we were allowed out of our room so we could take mm -hmm. our meals in the in the common room and didn't have it brought to our rooms mm -hmm. and we were allowed to interact with uh, the other participants but uh, always keeping a safe distance of at least 1.5 meters. Okay. Um, and uh, we weren't, we were allowed outside of the hotel, but um, it was all, um, there was a, like a, how do you call that? Uh, there was a clear area of where we could walk. So it was more or less um, a very okay. uh, small space. So just that you could sit outside. Sounds like jail. Mm, well, um, it was a very interesting self-experiment. So especially the <laughs> isolation for one week was interesting. 
but uh, we had a WhatsApp group, yeah. so we were could interact with each other. And uh, yeah, we had telephones, video conferences. And I think you also looked out of the windows to each exactly. other. I saw some yeah. pictures on Instagram yeah. or something, right? Yeah, we looked out of the window and chatted. And then once um, my neighbor had, <laughs> it was her birthday. So we all sang with open windows. It was very windy that day. Ah. So <laughs> yeah. I, one could only always hear himself and the neighbor, but it was still very funny. So. Yeah, and so we went. That's there. a birthday to remember. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice day. And then we we traveled to to Spitzbergen on the two vessels. Mm -hmm. So we never we got trend okay. brought there on buses. Um, so and uh, with masks, and so everyone boarding this these vessels was under quarantine, so it was safe. Were you relieved to to think you know? I mean, at, by that point, the Corona situation was already well. Under underway here, like life changed for everybody. Did you feel like, okay, I'm finally getting out of here and I'm going to a place that it's Corona free and I don't have to, you know, live this life anymore, at least for, for a while. Yes. I mean, I, I don't know. I just thought that you were actually going to the one place and you can say it's, it's not there. Yeah. I mean, we had a, the, the preparation phase was a bit tough, but then afterwards, I mean, we were all very, very happy and we, we knew we were very fortunate to, to the life we had compared to the rest of the world. We were also called the hugging leg. So leg four was a hugging leg because we just really took advantage of being able to have physical contact and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. exchange some, some warmth, uh, without having to keep these 1.5 meters distance. Yeah. And to summarize yeah. in the end, we, so we were all virus free. So it was no problem for us to meet the mm -hmm. other people mm. from leg three. So we had, some, I think, also several days of handover where we could then exchange mm -hmm. with the people from leg three. And um, yeah, it was, um, it had to be done, um, yeah, in parts by Zodiacs because then the ships had to go sideways um, so that people could exchange by the gangway. And um, then, mm -hmm. but for mm -hmm. the ship that wasn't side to side with Polash, then uh, the exchange was done with the Zodiacs, so with small boats. Okay, and then uh, once you boarded Polar Stern, you went back to the original ice floe and um, set back all the instruments, probably a bit different way than before, right? Yeah, well, we didn't, we went back to the same floe. Um, we didn't. Mm -hmm. um, The Polarstern was not on the same side as it was before, but on a different side, but the flow was still the same. And the infrastructure was mm -hmm. then brought out, but in a more lightweight way because the melt season had already started. So the ice was growing thinner mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. these melt ponds uh, were uh, starting to grow. Um, so before the big power hubs of yeah, several hundred kilograms were put out on the ice, um, they were just simply too heavy for um, for the melt season. Yeah. So, um, Uh, smaller power hubs and smaller data hubs were made for the cable was brought out um, in a more lightweight way not as many cables were brought out so it's all a bit lighter because you had to like take it back once the leg was over right because then Polasha was not uh, I mean was moving then after that after your leg right yeah well, yes um, so I think it was the 31st of July the flow broke up it's like it's just um, there was uh -huh. one big crack And then in the afternoon and on the next day, it's uh, there's a wonderful radar animation to see uh, how it just dissolved into thousands of pieces and just uh, the flood mm. didn't persist anymore. And uh, we had brought in yeah. all the infrastructure the day before 
that we had ended that so that was good timing um yeah but how did yeah. you feel how did you feel when it eventually broke up was there i don't know some strong emotions in yeah. the group yeah yeah i think we were all a bit shocked and sad also um because it, yeah it had been our home for the last months mm. and some people and like you've been there in the, the beginning. beginning exactly so yeah <laughs> and i think people that were out more on the ice than me could for them it was an even stronger feeling so um but it yeah it was uh and i was just um so astonished how fast it actually goes so we came very near to the ice yeah. edge and then the waves um had an impact on the flow and it just simply broke apart but yeah i thought it would just break into a few pieces and you'd still see it but uh, it was just simply gone so the plan was to stay in one flow for the entire drift so that was not expected is that really the arctic sea ice melting you know the current um, changes going on in the arctic that caused this flow to melt that early trick question so you're asked i'm not as much of a scientist <laughs> but at least i know that much that as a data manager <laughs> i shouldn't be answering questions <laughs> a sea ice physicist might not even want to answer um <laughs> but i can tell you that um, i'm not sure what was to be expected so it's always uh, made mm -hmm. clear there were several model runs performed of what is can be foreseen what is might be expected but actually mm -hmm. what is simulated what could happen during the drift and um i yeah mm -hmm. it's um i haven't got it here but there were several pathways um also how mm -hmm. long the drift would take um where polashtan would end up and um there was some main routes um and um people scientists hope that it would go end up in the fram strait for instance but it could have um, mm -hmm. just gone in circles around um yeah more north no. and yeah. so there was uh, lots of different possible drifts in the end and maybe some more probable than others some i'm not quite sure this is totally unexpected um what happened mm -hmm. um but yes um the ice was much thinner than um many people had expected and um i think also this very fast uh, drift period um during like three i think it was um was was uh quite a quite a surprise i lots of i heard lots of scientists say that this is a uh like a representative um flow for the new arctic so very oh, thinner okay. and mm. changing ice mm -hmm. so the so um the classical um thick multi-year sea ice rather something that belongs to the past so um And you said uh, earlier, so you, I mean, you did the data management uh, stuff on board, but you also went out um, onto the sea ice to help groups. That's true. So what, your, what, what was your favorite thing to do? Easy question. Out there. <clears throat> the transect. I loved going out on the transect. That's uh, walking around the flow, which wasn't too big in, on leg four anymore because the flow had mm -hmm. um, decreased a little bit. Walking around once and then uh, making go with a gem and the magma probe. So taking uh, ice thickness and uh, snow thickness measurements by pulling instruments around and... Uh, what, what, what is that, that that sled you're pulling after you? Yeah, no, it's like that's a, a different... Yeah, one of them is in Napulka, um, the gem. 
yeah, so you got to walk around, you got to go through melt ponds, you got to see the changing ice and uh, yeah. And you had 24 hours of daylight. Yes, but that didn't mean that we could go out 24 hours a day because of um, um, safety reasons, yeah. polar bear uh, threats. Mm -hmm. we, need, we had a big logistics team who took care of our safety. And um, to make sure that everyone is protected, there was always someone on the bridge and at the stern of the ship. Mm -hmm. And then you had the polar bear guards out on the ice. Also scientists took over polar bear watch, but like the logistics team built the core of that safety concept. So, and they weren't available 24 hours a day. That was, they just simply didn't have enough yeah. resources for that. Okay. Let's listen to the next song, which is actually the mosaic song. Uh -huh. Before we listen to that, you have to tell us what it is. So, <laughs> Who made the song? Two colleagues on board, Polarstern, Ingo Schuffenhauer and uh, Matt Breuer. They sat together and came up with this, uh, with the melody. Um, And uh, then Felix Linhardt, um, another participant of Leg Four, he came up with uh, with the lyrics um, for the for the um, for the song, and then they also asked me to to help with the singing. So one of the voices is mine, and uh, we played that during the last mm -hmm. CTD on board um, Collage and during Leg Four. Big expedition. 
perfectly into the next section because it's all about the extra so to say so everything else that was going on uh, on production and doing mosaic that was not taking measurements or organizing data or uh, yeah doing the, the the real job so to say so this is actually a, a great example of all the side activities so that that was going on and I know there was even more singing on on your leg is it true did you were you a, spe a special like singing crew we did yeah we did some singing we did some acting also so we had as i said before quite some musicians um several guitars ukulele um accordion um people playing the organ and the the how do you call that the harmonica and so uh, we had sessions in the blue saloon where people were then just uh, sitting together and uh, the ones tried to play the music and the others tried to follow in with the, with the, with the singing. So that was great fun. And um, what we also did, I mean, during our tr transit period to uh, Spitsbergen, we were more or less, mm -hmm. well, 
lots of people had something to do, but not as much to be like fully, fully occupied. So um, we said we'd have team presentations and these team presentations happen in form of, um, it should be something without um, a projector. So no PowerPoint slides or something. So mm. um, Team Ocean did the start and started performing a play. So, um, and uh, oh, cool. <laughs> okay. um, perform their own play of, and presenting what they do. And so it was very creative. Uh, what people came up with, how what occurrence can be uh, visualized with different people. So we had a um, bottom uh, water layer, which was one person, and then we had the Atlantic water layer, which was another person. So yeah, and then we had uh, <laughs> photons flying around in forms of people, and so that was very exciting. Uh, we also had whales um, and uh, walruses uh, disguised by sleeping bags and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So there was quite some creativity going on. We also had uh, two um, arts and wine nights um, organized by mm -hmm. by uh, a friend from the media team. So they, yeah, people brought their own creative stuff like uh, crayons and paper, but also other people came with knitting. Someone even had some wood carving set with oh. them. So you just sat there and listened to music. I was wondering about the hat you were wearing on that one picture you sent. Did you knit it yourself or did somebody else knit it for you? Uh, no, that's actually bought. But I have a hat. Oh, okay. I can show you that. I got that for my birthday. Oh, what's oh. this? <laughs> okay. Maybe we have to explain oh, what okay. we're seeing. Yeah, explain, yeah. Sarah, what you're seeing. <laughs> so I, I, I see a, a worker's hat, like one of those hard Helmet? caps. Like a yellow helmet? Yeah. Helmet. yeah. And it, it has a stray, like a, 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 how do you call it? A veil. A veil, exactly. Yeah. Yes, that's what I was looking for. Yeah. So you, you were one of the lucky ones that celebrated your birthday on board. Yes, actually my uh, my round birthday. It was, and this in time of Corona, I could, oh. I had 100 guests on my party or even more. So I was, I could. <laughs> no one else. You this. <laughs> Lucky you. Yes, it was fantastic. <laughs> I invited the crew and the scientists. Yeah, lots of people came. The weather was quite good, so we could also celebrate outside. Um, so it was really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and with lots of support from from friends, from the scientists, from the crew. So they really all made it all happen. So yeah, it was a very very nice birthday party. That's cool, and it's even more special. I mean, we don't we don't remember parties that big. <laughs> I know. Since, I mean, twenty twenty hasn't seen any of those. Yeah. So it was it was it was very nice, and we we actually heard in our third episode from from Gunnar Prin. He also celebrated his birthday uh, in in December, uh, and he received a, a glass. Did you also re like a, a whiskey glass? Yes, or, I think it was. Did you also ha get, get one? Yes, I also got one, the mosaic glass. Um, But just uh -huh. one, again, yes. again, only one, right? It's probably a limited edition, I guess. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Okay. Very That's cool. very nice. And yeah. I got another one, but this is a very limited edition, so oh. it's not the official Avi, Avi one, but it also has a mosaic logo on it from friends. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. So actually, I mean, at least you get to, yeah, <laughs> and you can celebrate with somebody. Yeah. You're not meant to celebrate on your own. <laughs> That's right. And I also have the Avi version at home, which I once bought. Did you get special cake for your birthday? I mean, we know cake is is very dear, especially to Kirsten. Yes, and I got the biggest 
chocolate brownie I've ever seen in my life. So Ooh. it would like uh, oh, like a that's meter, cool. oh my god, like half a meter in, in depth. It was uh, it was fantastic. Yeah. Nice. Now I'm jealous. We should all celebrate our, our birthday on Palacio. We should have all been yeah. there. <laughs> no, I was. I, I just had. I, it's, and it's probably like a very stupid question because they're going to tell me that. Of course not. But like you went there in on on summer and you and you were mentioning that there were a lot of melt ponds. Did you get the chance to take a bath in your in, in the melt ponds or like did you have your private? Yes, beach? I did. Yes. <laughs> That's a question. Yes. I did. <laughs> I had so much fun. It was fantastic. It's cold. How, how how does it look like to take a bath on a melt pond? I mean, is it deep and 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 narrow? So so or it's or it's just like a pool. Well, the melt ponds in that I went swimming were not so deep, so I really had to. I couldn't just go okay. in and then um, swim around. So they were shallow, so I had to get down. So if they might have gone mm -hmm. to uh, above my, um, maybe up to my thigh, let's say highest. Okay, so you had to. Uh, crouch to 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 get wet completely uh -huh. to, 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 to swim to around wet. a bit. Um, I didn't go melt pond swimming when they were like at their largest extent and at their deepest. Um, that's a pity in the in the end, but uh, but uh, it was still exciting. So um, yeah, and it's quite fast actually. So I I don't really like going into cold lakes, but now this is so cold. It's like mm -hmm. the cat just stand around there thinking, shall I go in or shall I not? Um, you have to put on thick socks, which I never did, because the feet are actually the first which get cold. Because if you stand with your bare feet on the ice, it, the feet get much uh, colder much faster right. than your body. So that's another reason why you're really quick, and then you just uh, dig down, and then well, I was so wow. I mean, I saw people staying in the melt pond longer than me, but uh, maybe they are just okay. Longer. And then, yes, just getting wet and then being happy and jumping out again. And Isn't it, isn't it um, difficult to get out of this melt pond because it's all slippy ice? Probably I would have had a problem with that. <laughs> Never getting out of the melt pond anymore. That's true. It's slippy and you had to walk a bit carefully so that you don't slip. And some of the ice is also a bit mushy. So then you sink in with your foot also. Yeah. Um, yeah mm -hmm. but um no casual okay nobody in drowned in the melt pond during like four <laughs> is it fair to ask which leg did you enjoy the most like like one or, or like four or yeah um, it's a uh, it's um well i can i can answer diplomatically right yes um, so <laughs> So both legs were really exciting. So I'd never been mm -hmm. to the Arctic. I'd been into the Arctic once before uh, with Kirstin in 2015, correct? And uh, so that was the Arctic summer. So I thought I'd know what to expect, um, mm -hmm. which I was proven wrong, of course. Um, but um, so, but I'd never been in polar night. So that was really, really mm -hmm. exciting. To, and I mm -hmm. didn't know how I would react when uh, it's uh, night all day long, more or less, and you yeah. don't get the sun to see. And also being outside, having an orientation, like what is the sense of orientation like? How do you feel being out in the darkness? So that was really exciting. And yeah. um, it was also exciting to be part of the whole setup and seeing how it all evolves and um, seeing all these challenges, let's say, that you didn't think about before. Um, yeah. So that was really, really exciting. And uh, 
and also a great experience also to become part of the team to see how everything only works if you work together and that you always need to need someone to, to assist you but yeah so you become part of something bigger so that was really nice um it was also a great challenge because it was like the we had some test runs, but it was the first time we had all the infrastructure really in place. Mm. So yeah, there were still right. things and bits and pieces falling apart. And so software-wise, and then all these questions we didn't think of before. So there was a lot of work to do. Like four, uh, everything was a bit easier, let's say. So um, mm -hmm. because it was mm -hmm. light all day. Um, I'd already had experience, lots of my colleagues were also on leg one or on another leg. So they also already had experience. So there was a lot more things. People were a bit calmer, let's say, and there was more sovereignty yeah. in the whole thing. And uh, as I said before, the, with like a very um, young team also. So um, the, the very dynamic and um, yeah, we were the hugging legs. So we were all, um, we were all um, in need for some harmony and some, some mm -hmm. peace and love. So, um, and like with all the creativity going on, um, even though people were working a lot, very, very much so, people were out on the ice a lot and in the labs uh, long uh, through the night, it was still a time to, to exchange and have, have personal communication. And so that was really nice. And um, since the infrastructure was running a lot more stable than in the first leg, I also had uh, more time to be out on the ice to, to uh, um, see what they're doing to help out. So that was, that was really nice. And um, what I really liked was the, um, the, the, to see how the ice changes. I mean, all these different mm -hmm. formations mm -hmm. and you see the ice crystals and the melt ponds forming. And, and we got to see lots of whales while waiting mm. for Polage down in Spitzbergen. And um, nice. so that was great. And polar bears also. So yeah, wildlife wise, uh, leg four was um, more rewarding. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, that sounds like a great experience anyway. And you I, you are one of the person that can say that it enjoyed both races also, like the dark side and, and the light side and uh, yeah. what was at the beginning and, and how to see how it developed in the end and on like four when everybody was and, and everything was running a little bit more smoothly because it was already like four somehow. So yeah, I think it had yeah. to be very nice. I think we can then listen to... A song. I really love this song. So I was I was super happy to see that you put it in the in the playlist. And it's Piano Man by Billy Joel. Ah, this song was also played when um Treshnikov and Polashtan parted. So when um mm -hmm. leg four went back to, to Bremerhaven and leg five had come and stayed on. So and this was actually played by a loudspeaker on I think on the ship uh, when uh -huh. we when we parted. And uh, yeah, and uh, lots of friendships also um, had to be separated then because some of the people of Lake Four stayed stayed on board Polash down. So it was quite a quite an emotional um, situation actually to say goodbye yeah. to all friends. Okay, we are back with the Ice Pod, the podcast about polar science and the people, and the official podcast for the year of polar prediction in support of Mosaic. The one-year ice drift in the Arctic Ocean that just, uh, yeah, recently um, concluded. And we are here still with Antonia Imertz, the Mosaic Data Manager. So, Antonia, one question. There are so many teams on Mosaic. I was wondering, is there a data team? 
Yes, well, there's a data group. Officially, we're not a team, but we're a data group. So we're not a scientific team, but we are an important part of, of the project. Mm -hmm. So like there's a media group and a logistics group. There's also a data group. Does this data, I mean, my question leading into another question, does this data team, this data group have its own uh, Mosaic logo and its own Mosaic jacket then? Well, we were uh, fighting for that. Well, um, suggesting that then it was decided that um, uh, the only the scientific teams have their own um, jacket. But uh, yeah, uh, we took um, a neutral one and uh, I also... Well, I actually have one from the ICE team as uh, ah, because of, of okay. the first jackets created. And uh, yeah, so I've got one of those. And I'm very happy about that. It's also one more point to the ICE team in jackets. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, we have this um, other question, usually from, from the last guest, you know. So the guest who was with us uh, in the other episode, um, who did not know that you would be the next guest for our podcast. And that was Stefanie Arndt, yeah. yeah, who joined like uh, three. She was asking, what did you think was the biggest challenge on Mosaic before leaving for the expedition? And then which was your biggest challenge actually when you were there? So the biggest challenge, which was also not expected uh, for me, was to get um all these different teams and different people um together and on one table virtually let's say mm -hmm. um i wouldn't have expected it i knew it was a big project but uh, it's really a very very big project with uh, so many people from different institutions and different nationalities involved and even um in one institute you'd have different projects participating mm -hmm. and they might not have anything in common actually and the uh, That was for me, and I think maybe one of the big challenges in Mosaic to get them all somehow streamlined um, and uh, getting this communication from the very top to the very bottom. But it's not just a top down or bottom up, but it's such so many lateral communication and channels. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was uh, the biggest challenge, I would say. And And so now we should ask you what would you like to hear from our next guest if you could be uh recording the the interview with us not knowing of course who it is what was your biggest insight you gained during the project or the expedition of mosaic that's a cool one nice question it can be answered personally or scientifically or yeah. Whatever. yeah yeah or both <laughs> or yeah both. Did Mosaic somehow change, I don't know, change your life, change the way you work now or? Oh, yeah, it was. A, yeah. It was, yeah, I learned lots of lessons. So that was, a, yeah, I learned a lot. I learned. And well, my biggest insight, apart from that, those wow effects during leg four with the um, or the ice changing, I'd never expected mm -hmm. I, because I just don't know it. Right. I didn't know that melt ponds drain and you have this like you have a false bottom underneath and all these things are just totally new to me. That was exciting and a really, really big insight. So I was just fascinated. But um, what I learned even more is that it all comes down to the human component in the in the project. So it's all mm -hmm. about the human communication and uh, that makes it work or not work. And thus this makes things fast or very slow. And it's yeah, it's always a human factor which uh, 
makes it work or not. Yeah. Okay, Antonia, I think we have a next song. And this is a fun song. <laughs> I guess you had some party time <laughs> on board Polarstern as well. I, I have not listened to that song since I don't know how many years. 1990s <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> But it's great that you're bringing it here. For all the nostalgic. <laughs> exactly. Barbie girl. Was that something you were, I don't know, <laughs> fooling around on board or? <laughs> on the out, actually. That's, uh, that's ah. um, from, uh, my scientific task I shared with Biela on leg one. We were doing the micro microplastic sampling. And okay. um, yeah, we went out uh, yeah, every one or two weeks. And it was quite a, quite a tedious job because this, uh, the filter was very, very heavy and we had to get these big boxes out on the ice in the, in the dark. And then, um, and then uh, once uh, a big crack and a ridge formed and the Ocean City Hall where we normally did the microplastic sampling didn't exist anymore. So we decided, oh, no problem. Um, we'll uh, go out, dig our own hole, drill our own hole, put up a tent. Uh, it was all not really feasible because it was so cold and the heater we brought was far too far too weak. So the water froze in the pipes and the hole wasn't big enough. Was so it was, um, but uh, we had lots of fun trying to make it work. And then, uh, yeah, uh, we were called Barbie girls because we were the, yeah, <laughs> because of the microplastic uh, in our project. Ah, I see. Yeah. Microplastic yeah. is fantastic. Not yeah. so much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sarah, do we have a last question for Antonia? Did you enjoy this interview? Yes, I did. It was great. I didn't know what to expect and I was a little nervous. I told my boyfriend, ah, I don't know what's going to happen. And I uh, <laughs> don't know if I slept that well. And then so now I'm really relieved it all worked out fine. And we had a very, very pleasant conversation. I had a great time. Good. We have to, we had and a, I'm sure we have yeah. much, like a lot of insights for people also to, because I, I, I don't know, in a way I was looking forward to this episode because like data stuff it's always somehow neglected and, and in these projects it's actually worth talking about because it's also where like the magic happens in a way and, and where yeah. the, the future works kind of starts from so yeah I I'm glad we gave the platform to for you to to explain what you do and and the importance also of what data Uh, means for scientists and non-scientists too so yeah thank yeah. you very much for taking the time to explain it to us yeah that was yeah a great pleasure and an honor thank you so much antonia it was great having you on this podcast episode and um yeah we hope to see a lot of data at some point coming at least in other publications coming together so thanks so much thank you everybody for listening thanks for having me okay Goodbye. Bye. Bye. The iSpot is produced by the Year of Polar Prediction International Coordination Office with the technical support of Radio Weser TV as well as the support by the communication team of Mosaic and the Alfred Wegner Institute. Editorial responsibility is with Kirstin Werner and Sara Pascoletto. Our theme music is composed by Kevin McLeod, available on incompetech.com. For any questions, please contact us at polarprediction at gmail.com.
Sarah, would you go into the melt pond in the Arctic if you could? I I I, I would proactively uh, like suggest it. I think, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, if I, if nobody would would come with me, I I would feel like you know by myself in the melt pond. It's not as fun. <laughs> But, like uh, like everybody watching from the bridge and you sitting <laughs> exactly the <laughs> there and just like with my rubber duck and, and taking a bath on a melt pond. Maybe, yes. maybe not. 